And we're back on our mega episode into what we're calling the first real Marvel crossover outside of comic books, the episodes of the Spider-Man, the animated series that brought Punisher, Craven the Hunter, Morbius, and Blade all together into the world of Spider-Man. In part one, folks, we we took you behind the scenes on the making of the animated series, its incredible connection to uh, the toy world. What about that Marvel getting such a massive equity stake in a toy company Yeah, that really informs an awful lot of the decisions they make, especially with these TV shows? And you know what happened with that equity stake? That's where <laughs> Avi Arad first appears in Marvel. Because ah. Avi, Avi Arad was um, the head of Toy Biz. And so suddenly... There's this big crossover, mm. and uh, we start to get the Avi Arid influence in Marvel. We wow. heard some very cool stories about people loving this, uh, and I shared some about watching it for the first and second time and the mm. toys and everything. Um, we got some some little uh, choice nuggets about the histories of the influences and, and how Craven and Blade and Punisher and all those were kind of created. And we also deep-dived the first episode that we were covering today enter the punisher we're about to crack on with the 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 rest of the uh, the episodes we're looking at three more to go um pull those apart get into the nitty and indeed the gritty um Mm. delve into the marvel trivia the marvel history uh before we do that before i hand things over to uh will preston big shout out to our top top supporters and contributors the world-class wrecking crew peter J. Brandon Schmigilski, Zach Thomas, Bastabier, Bindi, Supi, Jack Davis, David Fan, and Adam Joyce. Those are, if this was a movie, <laughs> those are the cre- names, the executive producer credits <laughs> that play at the start of the movie. Special thanks to. It would all wouldn't be possible without. Um, those are the names. Now, Will, you've led us through uh, the very first... Um, episode in this uh, quadrant. No, no. I was trying to think <laughs> of what's triumvirate, but with four quadrant, and I just hit with Qua- quadrant. Qu- quad, yeah. I think quadrant, quadrant, <laughs> quadrant, quadrant, quadrant. Because of course, Jan Michaels, Jan Michael Saint John, or whatever quadrant. Remember that one, Rick, Rick and Morty. No, Michael but- down, Michael down your Johns. Quadrant okay, I, I, you know what? I'm regretting handing things over to him. Uh, is there a way we could not do that? Uh, <laughs> what's the next episode? Take us through it, Will. Chapter 8, Jewel of the Hunters. From his remote computer terminal, Microchip listens via the Punisher's battle van as the monstrous being that Peter Parker has transformed into advances on the Punisher. Frank Castle stands and fights, but it's no use. The monster that was previously Spider-Man is too powerful. As the man-spider starts a fire in the bunker, the Punisher orders the battle van to go to his location. As the Punisher runs, the monster webs him up and reels him in. The next second, the van bursts through the wall, freeing Frank. The van goes on autopilot and drives Frank to safety while man-spider emerges and climbs a nearby building. (coughs) I looked the devil square in the eyes and I blinked. What a badass <laughs> line from the Punisher. That's Incredible. brilliant. 
So good. Kind of literary quote almost. Yeah, it really does feel like it's been lifted out. I'm not surprised it was lifted elsewhere, but if that isn't, that's, you know, pay that writer more, I say. So does Frank Castle have anything like a battle van in the comics? Yes. Because it does sound like it was just made for a toy advert or something. Uh, Throughout his war on crime, the Punisher... um, has used many vans and they would end up being called the battle vans mm. i think dating back to, to the mid 70s i think but maybe it was just a van to begin with yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but then the later models were built by microchip mm. and they began to gain more of like hidden weapons and surveillance tech and become a bit more like a a bond car or the the kit or the the batmobile or something yeah, and what yeah. they could do but not like over the top sci-fi things Tear gas, armor plating, bulletproof windows, a mini gun mounted on the roof <laughs> that would come up out of the sunroof or whatever. Of course, it was it was popular. It was probably during the peak of Punisher's popularity at the end of the eighties, start of the nineties. Um, if you check out the image I've sent you, it was so popular that Marvel and Toy Biz brought out an incredible <laughs> battle van playset vehicle. Amazing! I coveted this massively as a child wow there were very few vehicles that you could actually put your action figures into yeah yeah and even then the vehicle the action figures knees didn't bend uh, so you couldn't really sit them in a seat but normally a car was like a separate thing and it wouldn't really but this was a car that actually had a playset kind of value to it the front bumper pops forward and guns come out the <laughs> wheels dude like got like spiky things come out the wheels you've got the the gun on the roof yeah and it opens at the back i i like i and i this is before the spider-man toy line so i don't know when it came out exactly um 91 maybe or 92 <clears throat> but there was one of these in the toy master store bagnall's toy master store in my hometown and I can remember, like, going to that toy shop and maybe once a week just staring at it. <laughs> and there was no way I was going to get it. Yeah. There was no... I had no recourse to get it, like, but... It's that same thing know. from The Simpsons. I dreamt last night I held you in my arms. <laughs> yeah, or, like, Garth... Or like, Wayne, Wayne going to oh. see the guitar in Wayne's World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Stratocaster, I, yeah. Yeah, part, part of me as a child, a very silly child, thought, maybe... A rich person will walk past and say, that boy there looks like he really wants that toy. I shall magnanimously buy it for him for no reason. Again, that I happened really... on The Simpsons. He said, maybe if I look oh, really? really sad, maybe if I okay. stand in front of it and look real sad, someone will buy it for me. It was just sort of daydreaming. And then one week it was gone. Oh. And I knew that some other kid had it and I was not happy for them. <laughs> 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 I remember really being like a powerful gut punch of oh. kind of like... Well, it was really, it's envy. Uh, it was yeah. really kind of yeah. sadness and envy. And it was like, there must be some really, that person must be luckier than me. Like, luck had anything to do with it. Mm. Uh, and that's who I am, folks. A hater from day one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want anyone else to six it now. Um, but yeah, it was just, it looks really cool, doesn't it? All the stuff it can oh, do. Oh, bloody hell, yes. I love it. It looks Yours really good. Yours on eBay for £300. Not <laughs> It's about to say how much of those things <coughs> worth now. Yeah, so somewhere between two fifty and five hundred, depending on the condition. Yeah. Oh god, I get that. 
Detective Terry Lee arrives at the scene of the fight and deduces from an eyewitness account that the monster thereafter must be Spider-Man. Watching the news about Spider-Man's mutation, Dr. Crawford calls on a friend, Sergei, to help the situation. Back at his lair, the Punisher ignores Microchip's pleas to not go after a monster that strong. Frank is determined to tool up and take Man-Spider down. See, I, I know I said I couldn't imagine... Uh, Punisher uh, with a jetpack, but I just can't f- imagine fighting a monster. I'm just the, the Punisher I know from like the media we've covered, not that I've read in the comics, is him fighting mobsters and stuff. Strap in. Hey, in 2009, boy. during his war against Norman Osborn, the Punisher goes after Norman Osborn's Dark Avengers and he fights Osborn's uh, Dark Avenger version of Wolverine who is Dekan, the truly, truly sick and twisted son of Logan. And Dekan uses his claws to cut off both of Frank's hands and then decapitates him. Frank's body parts are then found by Morbius, werewolf by night Jack Russell, and the Man-Thing, collectively (laughs) known as the Legion of Monsters. (laughs) And they reconstruct Frank. They sew him back together as a Frankenstein-style monster, hereby known as Frankencastle. I was waiting for the pun. If you if you didn't get said, I would have done it. It's Frank Castle's head and some of his body parts, along with, like, cyborg arms, because he lost his arms, and steampunk-like science and magic. Oh, and keeping him alive is Elsa Bloodstone's Mystic Bloodstone. Uh, that we saw in the Werewolf by Night show. Um, and yeah, we get Frankencastle, who he fights alongside the Legion of Monsters, and then he <laughs> turns on them and tries to kill them. Of course he does, because they're criminals. <laughs> At the park- it's a really, really fun series, that one. <laughs> it's so fun. That's jumping the shark for me, sorry. I know it's Marvel, but that just sounds mad. Oh, um... That's not even the maddest. So fantastic! What have I that's set you like, up on? That's done. Like that all that somehow worked with Frank. I tell you, it really did. But in the nineties, before the Garth Ennis, before they handed Punisher over to Garth Ennis for the Marvel Knights mm. reboot thing, where it took him back to his roots, or yeah, there was a story where basically. Punisher died and then is resurrected as an agent for heaven who has <laughs> mystic heaven guns wow. that shoot demons dead and send demons wow. to hell and stuff. And so that was not good. That's a bit mad. That's a bit mad for me. At the Parker residence, MJ wakes up to Aunt May going to the police about Peter's absence. Now that Spider-Man has transformed into a mob monster... May is worried about Peter, Spider-Man's photographer, getting in harm's way. Meanwhile, at the airport, Dr. Crawford meets Sergei, a hunter from a distant land. That night, the Punisher prepares for a hunt of his own, loading up his van with an obscene amount of firepower. So, we should point out, sorry, we should point out that this is Craven Hunter, <laughs> like, and he's already appeared in Spider-Man several times as a villain and then is reformed. Because I don't think that comes up in this. No. It's just, there he is. There he is. But yeah. if you've been watching the show before, Craven is a reformed supervillain that oh, Spider-Man saved. I didn't know. Sorry, I didn't know if he'd been introduced yet. Yeah. So I was looking at the Punisher's uh, rocket launcher, and uh, I, I, I was trying to count the barrels on the rocket, and I lost count at six. 
What ba- what are the barrels, mate? In terms the, the of the bits where the rockets fire out of barrel oh, right. of a gun, rockets, barrel, and mate. I was just looking, just going, "There's too many rockets on that rocket launcher." <laughs> that's that's how you can turn one gun into six guns or whatever. That's no, that's fr- when Frank Castle says he's got a six shooter. That's what he means. <laughs> he has a gun that shoots six rockets at you. <laughs> so we've under so we've established that Craven the Hunger, not Hunger Hunter or Sergei Craven the Hunger. Cra- he's Someone craving needs his, their din dins, don't they? Eh? He's craving his shreddies. Oh. <laughs> Um, so we we know that he's uh, he's 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 one of the oldest villains, but uh, who is he and why does he fight Spider Man? Sergei Klavinov, <laughs> a Russian uh, immigrant, I, son mm. of aristocracy from Russia that fled the the February Revolution in in like nineteen seventeen, mm. um, and uh, his his whole kind of like aristocratic aristocratic family was decimated yeah. by. Justifiable revolution. Yeah. That's up to you to decide. Um, yeah. Sometimes the only answer to society's problems is to eat the rich. Uh, Craven <laughs> is like a maniacal big game hunter um, who has like hunted everything on every continent, and you know he's got lots of money and he's very entitled, and he mm. he really does believe that he is part of an elite class of people in society. And eventually, once he's hunted all sorts of like animals to the end he's like well i'm above everyone else so why shouldn't i hunt those people that are beneath me how how much different is it from hunting like a like a person i don't have any you know respect for than it is a gazelle um <laughs> it's just because it's a gazelle with a mortgage it's the same yeah thing. right and so then he, he 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 turns his sights on he wants to prove he's the greatest hunter in the world and he turns his sights on Spider-Man, who he believes is the most dangerous game. Because he's part man, but also part animal. He's not really, but, you know, ah, he's like, ah, animalistic abilities are the most perfect uh, game to hunt. Um, so he doesn't use guns or bows and arrows, even. He he wants to take down big animal, dangerous animals with his bare hands. I respect that. He wants that. to I do a lot of that. wrestling. I respect well, that. Yeah, because okay, you know, so like, like hunters, like, yeah, they just drove up and shot a lion. It's like, oof. Yeah. That's horrible. But if you actually went in there and punched a lion in the face and wrestled it, I'm like, I don't care if it's an endangered species. Well done. <laughs> That's really good. So he also lives by a code of honor, he claims, where he's like, I hunt my game fairly, like you said. But he also uses like traps. Yeah. Like a lion cannot think it's like you can't. If you set, if you're a human with a human mind and you build an elaborate trap for a lion, <laughs> like, wait, wait, come on, man. How is that fair? Yeah. Um, so he's got all these traps and stuff. He has to poison darts and poison gas and stuff. Um, and then to fight Spider Man after he, I think, I think he's off the juice when he first fights spider-man but mm-hmm. then he quickly goes like i'm gonna start taking this mystic jungle potion that will make me stronger well, that's part of my code of fairness <laughs> but i suppose spidey <laughs> spidey's got superpowers so maybe it's evening the playing field okay that kind of makes sense but still i i just want to see him wrestle spider-man with his standard strength that he would he would be immediately crushed and destroyed yeah. a regular man against a spider-man well he's quite strong for a regular man Spider-Man, remember we talked about Spider-Man held up an entire building one time. Yeah, okay, you got me there. <laughs> he does have he does have unknown limits to his strength. 
So, Kravenov starts taking a vague potion <laughs> made from <laughs> unnamed jungle herbs. Or as the Americans would say, herbs. herbs. And it grants him, like, superhuman levels. Not like, I don't know. He he it, he gets stronger as the years go by, as do all Marvel characters. Yeah. So he he enhances his physical abilities, um, and it makes him a threat to Spider Man. Um, yeah, uh, he's not as strong as Spider Man, but he's also a master like Hunter, which Spider Man isn't. He's a fifteen year old boy, so <laughs> Craven <laughs> is like you know resistant to a lot of injury and, and things like that. He can get into a fight. And it also the potion extends his uh, aging, like his, his alters his aging process. So he's generally speaking, I think before he he died, he was like seventy years old, but he has the physical appearance of a guy in his mid, like his thirties or forties. Um, mm. and he comes to fight Spider Man. In fact, not not just out of I want to hunt the biggest game because Spider Man had already um beaten a KGB agent called the Chameleon. Ooh, that means a bell. And the KGB agent is actually um, Craven's adopted half-brother half or adopted brother. They have a very strange relationship where Craven uh, bullies and abuses him for his whole life, but they're like brothers. Um, and so he, he, he says, ah, brother, you must come to America and help me kill this Spider-Man who embarrassed me. And then Craven uh, gets an invitation from Dr. Octopus to join a team of villains and he's part of the original sinister six oh very nice so yeah craven he is not at any stage in the comics like in this cartoon spider-man beat him a couple of times saved his life and he was like ah the jungle potion was making me crazy thanks for helping me <laughs> that's not a thing in the comics he's okay. not a nice person yeah he is a rich man he's and a, they're a, in a, general a rich not good people a rich russian man Yep. Oligarchs. Oligarchs. Flying in the rain, Morbius agony. <laughs> yes, the next the next storyline features Craven buying every apartment building that Spider-Man tries to move into. Of course not he does. Actually, not actually renting any of them out, just holding them empty because it's an asset. That's the most olig that's the most typical oligarchal thing you can do. <laughs> I know that's why I made it. That's the joke I made. Oh, sorry, I thought you meant that you actually happened. You just described happened. my joke to me. Oh, no, sorry. No. Oh. No, it was a joke about oligarchs. <laughs> Oh, I thought you meant like that actually happened in the comics. Never mind, no. but I like that. Uh, I, I, I would laugh, but the moment's passed. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Flying in the rain, Morbius agonizes over his lust for plasma and being unable to see his love for <clears throat> Felicia Hardy. At Empire State University, Man-Spider sneaks into the lab and comes across a neogenic device. The device gives the monster flashbacks of Peter's time using such a device, and this throws him into a rage. Alarming, Deborah Whitman, a science student. Running into Flash Thompson outside for help, Deborah claims to have seen the Man-Spider, but Flash is sceptical of it even existing. As they talk, Morbius watches from a rooftop and sneaks away. <laughs> Not wanting to go back in alone, Deborah calls Flash a coward, and he agrees to go inside with her. However, inside the lab, there is no sign of the monster. When I saw Flash, I thought, I thought it was Eddie Brock at first. It's a similar kind of hair thing, isn't it? It's the crew cut, the you know, the the the, the jock appearance. I went, oh, Big is that shoulders. Oh, Flash Thompson, of course. Yeah, Reminds he's not Asian in this. Oh, when was he Asian? In oh, the modern the Spider-Man movies. Yes, sorry, because he's not a jock in that. He's just a git. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Outside, the, sp- the man spider catches sight of MJ and chases after her. The Punisher is alerted to the screams and springs into action with improved weaponry. Using a glue rifle, the Punisher sticks the monster into place. But before the Punisher can deliver a killing blow, Sergei, a.k.a. Craven the Hunter, pounces onto the rooftop in his hunting regalia. Tackling the... <laughs> Come on, that's a word. <laughs> regalia? It is. No, it's a good word and it was used well. It just wasn't it. It took me by surprise. Good. There's more of that. Tackling the Punisher, Craven fights the vigilante, while the man spider spots Morbius descending a faculty building. Using its acid spit, the man spider frees itself and pursues Morbius. So I like it, as well as this, we're getting sprinkles of the Punisher backstory via quick flashbacks as well. That seemed mm, to haunt yeah. him. And I thought I'd like that little sprinkles there. So the has sprinkles. the Punisher ever fought Craven in the comics? Um, I don't think he's ever fought uh, Sergei Kravenov. No, I don't think they. I don't think they ever interacted um, mm. before Craven is killed off in the eighties. But Frank does fight Craven's son, Ooh. Alyosha Kravenov, <laughs> who takes the mantle of Craven the Hunter. Mm. Now, to begin with, Al is like a. Al has a weird life. To begin with, he's like regular supervillain. I will avenge my father. You could not defeat Spider-Man. I will, <laughs> and then like, they do away with that. So he's so he's the illegitimate son of Craven. Craven has yeah. an affair outside of his marriage. He's ashamed of that. He sends the boy and the mother off to Africa. Um, Al develops mutant abilities, sort of, but maybe not mutant abilities. It depends. He basically has the same abilities that Craven has when he takes his potion. Um. But he naturally has those powers. Mm. Anyway, after his father dies, he has that brief spent of being a regular supervillain. And then they think that's boring. So there's a series I think it's called Get Craven. And it's a <laughs> Get Shorty style tale yeah. of uh, Al becoming a movie producer in Hollywood. Um, and he's like super charismatic and he's like gets involved with the Marvin stuff. And yeah. then I believe he starts selling clothes made from the skins of animal-themed heroes and villains. No. Why is anyway, there more skin wearing? He clashes with uh, Punisher in 2008 when he decides to build his own people zoo. <laughs> <laughs> Not a zoo for people. <laughs> A zoo made up of people for him to look at. Isn't a people um, zoo just a prison? Uh, not the way he does it. Well, he can't uh, pay entry to go see the prisoners. And stuff. Yeah. So he he sets about <laughs> capturing animal themed supervillains to go in his zoo, like Man Bull, Frog Man, <laughs> uh, the Tiger Leap, Shark, not Leap Frog, Frog Man, uh, the Leap Frog's son, Frog Man. Oh, I remember about. now. Yeah, and uh, the Vulture. Um, and and the rhino, and he slings them all in like captivity, and he like sprays them with this gas that kind of keeps them docile, and reverts them into kind of animalistic behaviour, and then he's like, ah, and off we go, transporting you to my secluded secluded island to build my people zoo, but Frank is tracking rhino because the rhino recently accidentally killed a security guard during a bank robbery gone wrong, and Frank is like. Well, I'm going to murder you. <laughs> so he uh, he crashes the party and Craven like releases all the supervillains who are now 
primitive animalistic creatures and they're all trying to kill Frank and mm. uh Frank's this is totally fine. I want to kill these people. You have not done this is not you've done me a favor in many ways. <laughs> you've um, given me the uh, the heads up to do what I always do. <laughs> and then he fights young Craven, Al Craven. Um but Craven's got superpowers and a teleportation device, so he escapes. Oh damn. That's that's not playing that's not playing fair. Not like his dad. You not like his dad. Not like his dad who keep... played fair with all those traps and potions. And poison darts. Yeah. <laughs> Inside her lab, Deborah is interrupted by the sound of Michael Morbius pleading for help. But when she sees Morbius's appearance, she screams. Morbius tries to fight his hunger for plasma, but gives in and goes to feed on Deborah. The next second, Flash bursts in and tries to fight off Morbius, but the vampire ends up feeding on him. Brave Deb- Flash Thompson. That's pretty good. Yeah, brave he's, Flash. Yeah, that's you know, good. Trying to be a hero. Trying to be a like hero as a vampire. Like his, like his idol Spider-Man. <laughs> and Deborah is sent flying at a bookshelf, knocking her out. The feeding session is cut short when the man spider comes in through the window and fights Morbius. But the vampire... The- what? Did, did it all this very much like a horror? Deborah's scream. Yeah, yeah. There's like crashing thunder and lightning outside when the man spider comes in. Yeah. And there's like Morbius is in shadow and stuff. It, yeah. Not like overly stylized. Like I don't think it had the, enough perhaps space to do all that, but it was still quite interesting. They're taking the same beats as horror, old horror movie cliches, but it works really well here. Didn't didn't they do that in the first when we watched um, the, oh, the, the lizard episode? There yeah, was a bit it, of that at the start, wasn't it? Was, there? it you know, when he's, especially when he uh, goes to his family's house. Yeah, that's that right. Thing. You're yeah, right. Yeah, very well. But the vampire slams, but the vampire slams the monster against the wall and escapes out the window. Waking up, Man Spider approaches Flash, recognizing him. But Deborah sees the monster and sounds the fire alarm, causing it to flee. So it feels like, I know this is like overlapping stories, but it does feel like we've tagged out of the Punisher fight to go to the Morbius fight. Like, they've tagged it in, almost. Yeah. yeah. But there's still, the the Punisher fight is two people trying to get to the people in this fight. So it is still, like, connected, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Outside, the Punisher hears the alarms, knowing that Man-Spider must be nearby. But Craven will not give up the fight. Frank throws Craven over and fires a net gun at him, keeping the hunter in place. As Punisher exits, Craven breaks free from the net and picks up the scent of Spider-Man. At MJ's home, Hunter, sorry, Harry Osborn comes round to help MJ cope with Peter's disappearance. Elsewhere, the Punisher pursues the monster in his van, while Sergei updates Dr. Crawford on the situation. Outside Aunt May's window, the man-spider watches her before yelling in anguish. So much going on in this episode, and it just flows so well between each thing. It just it feels like it's really well plotted out. Yeah, yeah. So this is weird. Craven picks up Spider Man's scent and uses it to track him down in part of the episode. I mean, that's more. I always see that as a Wolverine thing. Is that something he can do in the comics? Yeah, yeah, fully. Yeah, Ooh. the the vague potion he takes. Not only enhances his his like physical abilities, but also his his senses as well, and his wow. sense of smell is um, very very highly developed. Like it's compared to a dog, like it, so he can categorize various scents and store them away in his memory. Amazing. So like a dog knows people by scent without even seeing them. Yeah, Craven's the same, and he can use it to track people across great distances just using his sense of smell. Mm. Um, it took him a while to adjust. That scent when he was in it, hunting in a city, mm. as opposed to like the wilderness where 
the scents are very different. Yeah. The city is a huge collection of people, very strong smells, people and cars and cigarettes and all that sort of stuff. But yes, he can. Um, he's also such a skilled tracker that he can hunt Spider Man without triggering Spider Man's spider sense. No way. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty he good. He knows the distance to give yeah. and all that kind of stuff. That's really good. At MJ's home, Man-Spider comes in through the window, knocking out Harry, trying to protect MJ before escaping out the window. MJ has the strange feeling that the monster knows her. Tracking the Man-Spider, the Punisher is startled by the monster jumps on the hood of his van, causing him to skid off the road and crash. Man-Spider webs up the vigilante into a cocoon and takes him back to his lair. In a web-filled ruin of the World Trade Center car park, Frank's cocoon is cut down by Craven, who tells the Punisher to be quiet. Unfortunately, a curious Frank picks up a camera attached to the webbing, alerting Man-Spider. The monster swings in for the attack, with both the Punisher and Craven forced to fight. Before the Punisher can finish the beast off, Dr. Crawford enters and tells him to stop. She reveals that the creature is someone she knows, and that she can get and someone, <clears throat> someone she knows, and that she knows about the Punisher's dark past. Frank For Carson. some reason, <laughs> every time you say Crawford, I think of Michael Crawford. Which was that again? From Some Mothers to Avon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Betty. Ooh, Betty. <laughs> There's a man spider now. I can't stop. It's oh. so weird. Uh, sorry, it's only like Spencer, nine people not Frank Castle. That, yeah, but, that's yeah. a different thing. Frank Castle's family was gunned down in the middle of a gang war, leading him to become the Punisher and rid the city of all crime. Crawford reminds Frank that nothing he can do to bring them back. She tells Frank that the monster is a victim just like his family, and that the only monster here is him. With the help of Frank and Sergei, Crawford administers a cure on the monster. As Spider-Man returns to normal, Frank and Sergei exit the car park, with Frank admiring Sergei's talent as a hunter. Just another happy ending for the Punisher here, <laughs> hey lads. Just walk off into the sunset. That's just like the most unpunisher ending ever. <laughs> yeah, but it's right after him being forced to confront the memories of his dead family. <laughs> okay, that's fair play. So Craven Hunter here, he's, uh, he was the hero in the story. He saved Spider-Man's life. Has he done anything like that in the Marvel comics? In 1959, <laughs> Marvel, Marvel story timeline, mm. Um, Nick Fury approaches the big game hunter Craven to join his black ops team of Nazi hunters who are travelling the world hunting down Nazis that escaped justice after the Second World War this team is being called the Avengers because (laughs) they are avenging the crimes of the Second World War and gleefully killing Nazis Cool. and so Craven as a as a world-renowned hunter, is like, we need you. And Craven, along with his girlfriend, Namora, the Atlantean cousin of Prince Namor, um, who is also an Atlas comic, like a character from that. So that's only fun because Namora was actually active in the 1950s because she's a pre-Marvel <laughs> character. She's yeah. from the world of uh, timely comics. Not Atlas anyway. comics, that was something else, wasn't it? It's the same company, but it was in the 50s, yeah. That was it, yeah. So, Craven, along with Nemora, joins Fury's team, which also includes... Like, they're all notable adventures of the 1950s. Um, Dominic Fortune, the 
dashing mercenary Dominic Fortune. Like his whole thing is he's a soldier of fortune, so his surname is Fortune. The immortal monster hunter Ulysses Bloodstone. Ah. The professional Nazi hunter Silver Sable, who Uh was the father or the grandfather of the female Spider-Man character Silver Sable. I'm getting all, all the connections, I'm getting them. And... Victor Creed Sabretooth, <laughs> lunatic old, you know, but he's very, you know, he's Wait, very you, strong and everything. You're telling me that Sabretooth is a pre-Marvel character? No. Oh, sorry. Uh, only Nimora of them lot. Right. Okay. Okay. It was that was that was the only one that was kind of fun because there was the Nimora connection. The ah, rest right, are yeah, not. Yeah. They're just the th- people that have lived long and also have a gap that the writer can wedge them in. So <laughs> what we might call the very first Avengers team, it was actually came about in 1959, and it's Craven, Nimora, Sabretooth, Ulysses Bloodstone, Silver Sable, and Dominic Fortune. And there you go around doing black ops, Nazi hunting jobs, <laughs> killing uh, KGB agents and Nazi war criminals under the orders of Nick Fury and Dum Dum Duggan. Will, in this world, in this episode (laughs) about mutant monsters, it's important that we talk about the real mutant monsters in the world. (laughs) And that's people that don't support the podcast they listen to. (laughs) It's a seamless connection. You're here every week, folks. You gobble up hours and hours of the entertainment we make. And this is not an easy show. This is not... 30-minute chat about the news. This is not two idiots, you know, having a laugh for a full hour where we watch a movie and say, ah, I liked it. This is a grind. This is craftsmanship. This podcast, dare I say it, is art. And if you listen to all the work we put in and don't support the show, you're a mutant monster. I don't know how else to say it. You're a (laughs) mutated monsters freak. Um, Everyone that supports us, on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel is part of our community they help build the podcast they help keep us on the air and we reserve our very very best episodes just for them this month in february we've spun out of the echo episode to take a deep dive into the grim world of hell's kitchen and the marvel knights the story is underboss and it is regarded as the one of the all-time great daredevil stories it's a pivot point for the character that transforms matt murdoch's world from regular superhero to a gritty urban crime noir and it's based around events that we saw happen in hawkeye and repeat in 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 echo so mayor lopez has shot wilson fisk but in the Marvel comics, that leaves him permanently blind. And in a lot of people think that is a weakness. Mm. So the sharks begin to circle Wilson Fisk. And as the dominoes topple, Daredevil comes to realize that the fall of the kingpin spells disaster for his own life. Will, we did it this month. It's a gripping story. Like, how did you enjoy that one? Oh, it's just fantastic. Great way the narrative's put together. And just some really shocking moments. It's probably the most important moment 
in the in the Daredevil story since Frank Miller got his hands on the character and we had you know the Electra story mm. um, and and Born Again and stuff. It's it's really it's really interesting what it does for the character. Um, that's up there on Patreon as is all our previous bonus episodes like the Infinity Gauntlet deep dive, the Secret Invasion deep dive, Spider Verse, the Kang Dynasty. It's all available at the bonus episode tier and next month is when we start to do something really interesting for the first time this year me and will have decided we're gonna experiment with doing movies on <laughs> patreon so just like the the regular movie shows we do on them on the main show we're gonna reserve some really non interesting non-marvel ones for patreon our first one is in march and it's going to be batman versus superman dawn of justice the most painful movie we could think of to start with um, because art is pain content is pain our suffering is your pleasure we know that from doing x-men the last stand um it's going to be just like a regular movie show that we do mr hollywood's going to do the behind the scenes stuff on the making of the movie we're going to take you behind the page on the comic book that inspired that film which is the dark knight returns one of the most important comic books of all time Mm. and then it's going to be a real deep dive into the movie our reactions our thoughts and also tons and tons of batman and superman history and trivia from the comics it's going to be exclusive to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel patreons where you can also get ad free versions of every show we do you can get it three days early um than the than the, the regular release um you can also uh just support us for just as little as three pounds a month that is less than the cost of a starbucks coffee it's less than the cost of of a, of a beer these days it's such a small contribution but it would really help this podcast keep going and in exchange for that small contribution, we'll give you every month an access to our spin-off show, Obscure Marvel, a mini-show where me and Will dive into the trash cans of the Marvel Universe to bring you the most ridiculous and obscure characters and stories ever. So there's multiple tiers you can support us at, but for that £10 bonus episode tier, you get to do so many things. You think of that £10 contribution. One, you're supporting this show, all the main show episodes that we bring you. You're saying thanks and you're helping us produce more of them. On top of that, you're getting early access and ad-free shows every single month. You're getting a mini show every month and you're getting full-length deep dives into cool Marvel stories. You'll you'll get access to, in March, to the uh, Superman versus Batman, but you'll also get access to every other bonus show we've ever done. It's a small price to pay. We know times are tough, but you can just get so much value out of that bonus episode tier. Head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Support the show. Get yourself some cool content. Chapter 9. Blade the Vampire Hunter. With Spider-Man's mutation reversed, the web-slinger gets back into action, unaware that a mysterious figure on a motorcycle is reading a story about Spider-Man being a vampire. Further to the mutation reversal, Spider-Man should be able to turn back into Man-Spider at will. Swinging over a park, Spidey apprehends Morbius before he drains another victim of plasma. However, the recent feeding has made Morbius stronger and proves to be a powerful adversary. The fight is interrupted by the mysterious biker who tries to kill Morbius with a laser sword. 
So it seems like last episode's happy ending is no longer a happy one with Spider-Man in fear of the mutation. I love this long form of storytelling. Yeah, I mean that's that's the real beauty of um, Marvel comics and yeah, and Spider-Man comics in particular. Um, this thing that you, you we hit upon uh, in part one that it doesn't all it's not all one long story, mm. but all these plot points carry on. They all have ramifications. Everything yeah. has an impact on the next story. The character goes through ups and downs and arcs over the next story. So it's not like it's not like one big long story. Every two or three issues, there might be a story that lasts two issues, three issues, five issues, gets resolved but has an impact. And there are cliffhangers and plot threads you want to see like carry on and stuff. It's really cool. Yeah, I love that kind of thing. It's... it's- Again, I don't know why I hated long-form storytelling back in the day, but I wish I got onto this earlier. But then the podcast wouldn't exist. Never mind. That's true. That's true. The biker pursues Morbius across the city rooftops with Spider-Man in tow. Before the biker can kill Morbius, Spidey jumps in to protect Morbius, but realises that this biker has superhuman strength. The biker pulls out a grenade launcher and fires a (laughs) gas round at Spidey. As the web-slinger starts choking, he realises that the gas is simply garlic. Surprised, the biker realizes that Spider-Man is not a vampire. But before Spider-Man can question him, the biker bears fangs and rides away. Spidey is able to plant a tracker on the motorcycle. I love how we're dealing with mutations and vigilantes, and now we're back to vampires, like it's all happening in the same couple of days. And and that's just how big we're talking about world building, and 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 this this feels like the first time we're seeing the real Marvel universe on a screen. You know, and we're seeing mm. the depth of the Marvel Universe because it isn't just you'll pick up some books or some TV shows and it's only going to be a vampire story or it's only going to be a sci-fi kind of adventure. Marvel's got everything. There's gods in the sky and there's secret agents, super spies and vampires and mutants and superheroes with alien tech. It's mad. It's absolutely mad. Blade's pretty tough. What are his? Uh, what what are Blade's powers? Because I just see him with weapons, and I f- just assume he's just a badass guy with weapons. <laughs> At this point in 1995, Blade has no powers, unlike in this cartoon. Um, originally, he's not half man, half vampire. Oh. He doesn't have fangs. He doesn't have super strength. You wouldn't know any of this from seeing the movies and the the cartoon. But he's originally in the comic books. He's just Shaft with wooden stakes um he's the only thing he gets um that makes him different to a regular human is that he can't be he's impervious to a vampire bite he can't be turned into a vampire Mm. but then by the time 1998 rolls around we get the amazing blade movie in which they make blade into a half vampire with fangs and super strength um because that kicks ass (laughs) absolutely this cartoon is the first time that happened. Ah, here we go. Here this we cartoon go. is the first time Blade is half vampire, half man. The first time he has fangs, and it's the first time he has superpowers, mm. vampire superpowers. Now, that's that. We get into a confusing bit of tr- movie trivia here. So, John Semper Jr., who's the story editor on this series, mm. he. Obviously, made some fantastic contributions and and really created a great show here. He gives lots of interviews and podcasts and all of this sort of stuff, right? 
and he's very quick to take an awful lot of credit for an awful lot of things and i'm sure a lot of it is right he says that this portrayal of of blade is what inspired uh david s goya to write the screenplay okay and make blade like he is in this cartoon but goya <laughs> Um, and there was the legal court case over this, had already apparently written the screenplay, and Marvel had it, and the production on Blade took so many years that by 1995, it apparently was already around. And we'll see this later on, because there's something else Marvel pinch from that screenplay and put into this movie... Uh, sorry, into this cartoon series, mm. which David S. Goya says, I created that, I own it. And Marvel said, yeah, but we had the screenplay, so we own it. Oh, um, amazing. Oh, so there, it. There, there is a court case that proves, I, I believe, David S. Goya had already written the screenplay before this cartoon takes place, and that what would appear to happen is the writers or whoever at Marvel used some of the points of the new movie which they thought was about to come out mm. so i guess they thought oh we'll make our blade like the one that's going to be in the movie next year or this year or whatever that's like an almost almost like a tie-in almost yeah, yeah. but the timeline gets kind of com- mixed up because you go 95 to 98 it's a big stretch of time uh i assume the movie must have copied the cartoon but i don't think that's it doesn't seem like that's how it happened um his powers are he is super strength and speed and agility and, 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 and reflexes and um, superhuman senses. Um, this is when he gets his powers. Mm. At the end of the 90s, after the movie comes out. <laughs> there we go. He becomes immune to both daylight and vampire bites, the best of both worlds. Mm. Um his regenerative abilities are on par with Wolverine's. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, he has an extended lifespan. Um, he would later drink the blood of Dracula. <laughs> That's badass. And that makes him even more powerful. From cool. that point, he gains the ability to turn himself into a wolf or a mist. Um, <laughs> and he can sprout bat-like wing membranes that allow him to glide or maybe even fly. God, he's so badass. Looking forward to the MCU blade soon. Suddenly, Spider-Man's mutation disease flares up, forcing him to seek Dr. Connors for help. Meanwhile, Morbius pursues the biker. The next, sorry, the news reports that the mysterious plasma-draining disease plaguing New York City, as well as Peter Park returning home in one piece. At a police station, Barbara gives a statement to the police about seeing Morbius, the living vampire. I love how the police just believe the vampire claim at this point because it's believable <laughs> to be fair it it already been there's all these people there is a they know there's a mon they've seen a monster yeah they've seen a monster they know people are being drained of blood plasma they've been looking yeah sorry plasma <laughs> a very specific aspect of blood so they have been <laughs> looking for a monster that drains blood so you know yeah they basically what was it because we, we when we did the morbius film in another episode what was the the detective's response to the vampires was it I'm trying to remember now. Was it incredulous, or they just accepted it, or something? I don't remember. Yeah, I remember. That I bit- think, like a lot of trauma victims, I have blocked large parts of that experience out. <laughs> At Kurt Connor's lab, Spider-Man's condition is put under control by 
the doc's neogenic device. He needs this treatment every 24 hours to avoid another mutation. Connors is also concerned that he might not have the money to keep the neogenics lab open, hoping that a grant for, his, for it is approved. Swinging by a hospital, a crowd starts pelting rocks at him, still thinking he's... <laughs> <laughs> Boo! Boo, Spider-Man! <laughs> so funny! Still thinking he's responsible for the recent <laughs> plasma draining. Spidey needs to get to Morbius before the biker does, or he won't be able to clear his name. I like it. The public's gone like very like you know to hate Spidey very quickly. It's like it's almost like Jameson actually does his job well. <laughs> I know how much you love J. Jonah Jameson, oh, so I've compiled God, yes. some funny J. Jonah Jameson moments uh, from the comics to present to you. Yes, please. Um, yes, which please. I do in my section, which is called J. Jonah Jameson moments. Um, so. <laughs> In the 60s, he hires a mad scientist to build a robot that he pilots remotely <laughs> to try and defeat Spider-Man and unmask him. Um, and uh, this robot has like a television-like face with which projects J. Jemison's big greening face. He smokes his cigar. It's called the Spider Slayer. And uh, he's like got these robotic arms and he's beating Spider-Man up. Well, he's holding him down. He's going to pull his mask off. And he's just lost in a daydream about what's about to happen. When news of my brilliant triumph is made public, I'll probably be asked to join the Avengers. But I'll <laughs> prove my modesty by declining the offer. Um, Peter Parker brings him this is both the, both these are 60s stories and the last one isn't peter parker brings him some amazing photos of a superhero fight and it's an amazing story and jonah's like we're gonna sell thousands of copies subscriptions are gonna go through the roof and, and he says peter deserves a big bonus and peter gets his hopes up only for jonah to bark to his assistant to give pete one of my own personal bars of milk chocolates <laughs> <laughs> what you've done well boy bloody hell bloody hell um and once he had a panic attack brought on by the anxiety of seeing his long lost dad and his dad meddling in his life i think it was mm. and he's ha having the panic attack he's struggling to breathe and as he's struggling to breathe he says to himself can't breathe mustn't die before spider-man <laughs> <laughs> I just oh J. Jonah James I just love his pettiness. I think I think yeah, that's what I love about great. it. He's not really a villain. He's just he's just he's just he's, he's like a tertiary villain if that. He's he's oh, just I just think he's great. It's balanced with a huge amount a large amount of times when he shows um incredible like compassion and niceness. Like there's a a time period where um Peter Parker is on trial for murder. Mm. And he yells at everyone in the newsroom, we don't treat Peter any differently to any other newspaper. We don't give him favourable coverage. Mm. We report the facts and the news. And you think, oh, you cold-hearted son of a... And then it's revealed he's been secretly funding Peter Parker's legal defence oh. the whole time, but never tells anybody. And there's little moments like that with yeah. him. Yeah. No, no, no. That, 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 it's, it's moments like that that don't make him a villain to me. 
It just—it's almost like a comic, a comic, uh, ca- you know, comedy character. Almost. But to begin with, he did like he—he's the reason the Scorpion is created. Mm. He creates a supervillain Scorpion strength and the Spider Slayer. That's him again. He was funding all these supervillains projects. But I just don't think of him as a super. Oh, he's, 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 <laughs> no, he's he a- isn't he? But he, he just softens over the years, I guess. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Tackling Morbius, Spider-Man tells him that he can help the vampire, but Morbius has now embraced his vampire form and the immortality and power that brings with it. Before Morbius can feed on Spidey, the biker skids in, calling himself Blade. While Spidey recovers from a partial plasma drain, Blade and Morbius fight. But again, Spidey stops Blade from finishing off Morbius. Spidey tells Blade that he created Morbius and needs to help turn him back. However, this angers Blade, and he turns on Spidey, throwing him off a roof. I like the implication that Morpheus isn't the only vampire out there, and there are apparently enough unnaturally occurring vampires to justify Blade. Like, it's just happening you, in the background. You say to justify Blade like it's a job that he, a, that he applied for. Vampire literally his like, job role. Like, it's not like a hobby. Yeah. Like he applied for it because the world, well, so you know what? With so many vampires, we're ready to get a man in. He's, he's not. He's not doing like, oh, I do vampire hunting in the evenings, but I'm hoping to make it a full time job at some point. Like he's a gigging comedian. He's not like, you know, but, you know, out there, the IT technicians just to get the money in. But my real passion, oh, that's vampire hunting. No, it's like Punisher. It's not a job. It's a relentless psychological condition. <laughs> Right. Okay. So, uh, change of subject. Who, who's, who's stronger, Blade or Morbius? There's only one way to find out. Fight! Yeah. yeah. Who's, who's stronger? They both go through a series of power changes, so it is tricky. So, I don't think they. I don't know if they ever meet until the nineties. That I can't be right, but I can't think of them crossing paths. You think it would be a simple matter, wouldn't you? But. Mm. I don't know. I to me, I don't know if they cross paths until the nineties. That's when they're both part of the Midnight Suns, who are hello, hello. supernatural team featuring like Ghost Rider and Doctor Strange and and and, and Morby and Blade. Um, <laughs> and Blade at that and point, Morby. at that point, Morbius is very easily stronger than Blade because Blade's just a human dude, hmm. and Morbius is a strong vampire in bondage gear at the time. Um, and then blade gets a power upgrade and unlocks his vampire powers and at that point i'd say they're pretty evenly matched in terms of like strength and ability except for the fact that blade doesn't have any of morbius's weaknesses Mm. he doesn't crave blood and he doesn't have an aversion to sunlight or ultraviolet lights so um that's that's that is is not having a weakness of strength you decide pedants um but then blade becomes even further enhanced by dracula's blood so he can like turn into a wolf and he he gets a bit stronger and stuff so you think at that point he's probably stronger than morbius but Mm. then morbius (laughs) gets this like weird thing where he kind of Oh, we'll get to that later. I'm going to hold off on that one. <laughs> but they, they basically keep keep trading positions. Okay, okay. Speaking of Midnight Suns, I've just started to, again playing the game Marvel's Midnight Suns, and I finally got into the flow of it, and it's really who, good. Who, who are the characters in that? Because well, it's that Suns S-U-N, yeah, isn't it? I, I understand that there's a slight change. You do get Blade, Ghost Rider, and I think Magic. There are other 
like what i know there's okay. a lot loads of characters pop up. like i think spider colossus's sister is also here for some reason colossus <laughs> isn't here for some yeah wolverine pops up to as somebody can play as you've got iron man doctor strange i think basically iron man. you get the midnight suns plus no, other you people don't. you get two <laughs> you get two Wait, who's else in the mid blade blade ghost rider doctor i thought doctor strange doctor strange yeah doctor strange morbius He's in. Uh, he's in DLC. He's in uh, downloadable content, and also Johnny Blaze. Uh, no, it's um, the uh, Lati- uh, L- L- Hispanic one. I can't. Ro- I want Robbie to Reyes. boo him, but I can't Robbie, because oh. it's twenty twenty four. Sorry, um, you can't what? I, I want to boo Robbie Reyes. I, Robbie Reyes is a very popular character, but he's not my Ghost Rider. He so. drives a car. I think that's a bit. I weird. don't like it. Yeah, I don't yeah. Like I, th- it. I think it's a bit weird. But. If you open the trunk and throw someone in, they go to hell, which is kind of funny. <laughs> God, it's like the reverse of a Twentin Tarantino film. Anyway, yeah. landing through a hotel awning, Spidey gets back to his hunt for Morbius, but needs help. Can he trust Blade to help him? At an old cinema, Blade works on his bike and talks about Morbius with Whistler and what to do next. Suddenly, Spider-Man makes an entrance and fights with Blade. Whistler demands Blade to stop so they can hear Spidey out. Blade agrees and Whistler tells Spidey that he and Blade are vampire hunters. Whistler reveals that the Blade is the son of a vampire who fell in love with a human woman. The woman left her baby at an orphanage with Blade growing up to be a half vampire. But he had he has that's all the so sanitized. I forgot that's the origin in the cartoon. Oh, we gonna Oh, that's so sanitized. We'll all, we'll talk about the origin <coughs> in a bit, I feel. He has all the strength and agility of the vampire, but without but without the fatal weaknesses of a vampire, like sunlight. Whistler found Blade and raised him to be a vampire hunter, one of the best. So Whistler, the guy playing Whistler, is none other than Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell, that time-travelling son of a gun. Oh, oh what? Why is he time-travelling? Oh. I always think of him in... There's a, there's a great movie where um, he plays H.G. Uh, Wells. Oh, okay. It does invent a time machine... And accidentally, <laughs> he invents a time machine, the H.G. Wells time machine, yeah. that can go to the future. And as he unveils it to his mates, all his mates go, oh, my word, H.G. Wells, what a marvellous invention. <laughs> and then the police arrive and go, excuse me, governor, one of your best friends is Jack the Ripper. And then Jack the Ripper <laughs> jumps into the time machine and appears in 1980s New York. No. Or Boston. I think he becomes the Boston Strangler. Um, and Amazing. Malcolm McDowell goes, travels in time to stop him. It's such a fun movie. I thought you were um, referencing the Alan Partridge bit when he's coming up with ideas for stuff. And he goes, I've got an idea, Lynn. Malcolm McDowell uh, is trapped in the future. He's being chased by a cyberpunk from the past, played by Rutger Hauer. And then he goes, Actually, Lynn, I'm sorry, but that's the worst idea I've ever had. He, he's wrong. That's a really I'd I'd, I'd, I I'd, buy, I'd rent that movie. I would love that film. Uh, also, back to that to it. Um, vampirism is called a mutant gene in this cartoon, which I thought was a is that a reference to the X Men because they're in the same universe, pretty much. I have a feeling the people that wrote this don't know what that means. I mean, technically <laughs> speaking, it's probably what they're trying to say. It's a mutated gene. Right. There it, it could is. be. Semantics. Semantics again. Yeah. But you're not born with it unless you're blade, no, apparently. Because your genes become mutated. You don't have the mutant gene. The mutant trademark gene. <laughs> yeah. 
Branding. They need branding. Also, I like the line, Nosferatu, isn't that the name of a German rock band? And I was like, yeah, that does sound like a German rock band. Solid burns in this from Spider-Man. Solid Very burn. solid roasts. Very good stuff. So, uh, apparently, this cartoon has whitewashed Blade's origin story. Yes. I think, I think we better handle that now, because I've had this discussion with okay. another person who complains that Blade is American. Yeah, Blade's Blade's a bit British, but he doesn't yeah. really know it. Oh. Um, first of all, vampires can't love. <laughs> there's no there's no vampire falling in love with a woman. Um, all the depictions of vampires in in, mm. in the, like Marvel stuff is they're just all horrific abusers and murderers and rapists and stuff. Vampires um, can't love; they prefer to be friends. <laughs> it's just yeah. Uh, and he was born and raised in a brothel, not an orphanage. Oh, um, So, Eric Brooks, um, who is who is Blade, is born in Soho in London in 1929. He's an old boy. Um, his father um, sent his pregnant wife, I think his dad's, English or Lat no Latvarian or something, but sends his pregnant wife to uh to be hidden in 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 London because people were after him, mm. um and she finds shelter with a brothel owner named Madame Vanity, um and she has labour complications, so they seek assistance from a doctor, but the doctor is actually a ravenous vampire called Deacon <laughs> Frost. Ah, uh, Deacon Frost. Posing as a vamp, posing as a doctor, and he feasts on her as she gives birth, thus passing a series of enzymes along that alter the baby. Ah, uh, okay. The enzymes go into the bloodstream of uh, Baby Blade. <laughs> I like to see him coming out of the of the womb with those sunglasses on. <laughs> Not even crying, just grimacing. And originally, it didn't. It only gave him a, a protection from um, vampirism. But then, yeah. in the adjusted, they adjusted retconned his history and said it made him half human, half vampire. Right. A, do you know what they're called? Uh, now, I, I the word actually came into my head uh, earlier in the episode. A damp fear. Damp, dampier, dampier. Yeah. D H. Dampier. Um yes, and that's and uh, Eric Brooks is left to be raised in a brothel. Uh, <laughs> he oh. later meets a jazz musician who teaches him everything he needs to know about life and uh, and killing vampires. I, I I like to think that uh, somehow that the brothel was actually like a like an orphanage, but the orphanage was disguised or something. And every time the health inspector comes, they just pull a lever. And all the all the things fold up to make it look like an orphanage. I don't agree with sex workers being uh, around children. But that's no, no, just no, no, me, no, no. Will. There's no children. I'm crazy. There's no children. There's no children. There's no children just... in your orphanage. No, 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 no. It's a very I, successful I, I... orphanage, then. Oh, never mind. I'm trying to make a Simpsons reference. It's not working. It's not oh, okay. working. I don't know every frame of every episode, so I can't get the references. I'm very sorry. Don't worry. It's from the golden era. But never mind. I don't remember that, to be fair. I haven't watched it in about 15 years. Bloody hell. After this story, Spidey tells the vampire hunters about how the neogenic device can create new vampire hunters, but the same machine can reverse... No, can't create new vampire hunters. It can create new vampires. 
New vampires. I said new vampires. You said new vampire hunters. <laughs> Maybe maybe I added too many syllables to the last syllable, like vampires. <laughs> maybe, but those syllables created the word hunters. <laughs> okay. But the same machine can reverse Morbius back to a human. However, Whistler also reminds Blade that the older the vamp- half-vampire gets, the more his craving for plasma grows. The serum that Whistler has been giving Blade to keep, him, keep his hunger under control has been losing effectiveness. The device could cure Blade of eventually becoming a full vampire but Blade angrily claims he needs to be half-vampire to improve his effectiveness as a vampire hunter. As the two argue... Sacrifice! Yes. As the two argue, Spider-Man steals component and escapes out the window. Again, I just... They're just saying plasma. We all know they mean blood. At some point, I just think they should just give up and go, look, okay, we made a mistake. We're going to say blood now. Okay, happy. Do you remember all the rules were like there can't be any punching, yeah. they can't break glass, <laughs> and they can't say blood. God, just you don't have to show them feeding on the blood. Just say blood. Oh god, it, it, it's annoying. So Whistler, what can you tell us about Whistler? He's a bit different here because was it Chris Christopherson who played him in the film? Yeah, yeah. And now here we have Malcolm McDowell. Whistler is not a character from the comics. No way. And this is how we know that the script for Blade was already around. (laughs) David S. Goya wrote the screenplay for Blade the movie, and he is the person that created from scratch the character of Whistler. Wow. No one else. He does not ever appear in the comics. And the script, the screenplay for Blade was in Marvel's hands as long ago as 1994 or 5, and they decided this character was so good, we want to pinch him and use him in this cartoon. So they did. (laughs) And that led to a legal dispute between New Line Cinema and Marvel Comics. Because New Line Cinema are like, you can't use this character in your cartoon series. You don't own it. We do. (laughs) David S. Goya does. So, yeah, um, that's that, and, and and based on that, we know that the people involved in this cartoon had seen aspects of the screenplay and seen. Thus, we can reasonably assume they'd seen the version of Blade that is half vampire, has fangs and superpowers, mm. and has a problem. Whistler's trying to help him cure his craving. All that, all that stuff, right? All that stuff. That they use that that dynamic is directly from that screenplay that we've just seen. Amazing. So it's contentious. And John Semper Jr., who claims it's the other way around, I think, unfortunately, legal documents wouldn't have been filed if that was the case. It, um, yeah, I, I was just about to say it reminds me of uh, Batman the animated series was responsible for the uh, creation of two things that then became canon in other things. One was Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn came from Batman the Animated Series. And the other one was uh, Mr. Freeze having a tragic backstory. Yeah, <clears throat> and but 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 adapting from a cartoon to a comic, like it, it, you know, ha- mm. happens quite quite a lot. Um, and adapting from a movie to it to a comic happens quite a lot. It's this weird thing of the movie wasn't out yet, and you <laughs> stole the. So the first time that David S. Goyer's character appears. It's in something he's got nothing to do with, wasn't paid for, yeah. has no credit for. It's complicated. Yeah. I, I can so, imagine how it feels, though. It does feel a bit like... Yeah, annoyed. Mm. In, in the, in the um, Marvel comics, 
Blade does have a mentor called Jamal Afari, who is a jazz musician created by Chris Claremont and Tony uh, Dizanuga. Mm. Um, and uh, David S. Goya didn't want that. He wanted, he wanted, um, he wanted John Wayne. He said, "I, I wanted the, the archetype of the aging gunfighter who passes down his knowledge." Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that's the the character he he kind of created for his screenplay that Chris Christopherson ably portrayed. Yeah, just wondering which which version I like better because I do like Chris Christopherson, but at the same time, I think Malcolm McDowell always brings in a sense of class to everything. Not there's only one way to there's only who's one better. Way. <laughs> <laughs> At home, Peter Parker analyzes the garlic that Blade uses, discovering that it's combined with a rare bacteria. Aunt May tells Peter that Mary Jane is on the phone for him, but Peter remembers how MJ looked at him in horror when he was man-spider and feels dread. Peter decides to meet MJ for dinner, hoping to get a clue for Morbius's whereabouts. At Empire State University, Peter joins MJ in a lecture, for, in a lecture from Detective Terry Lee about the students disappearing. Lee, knowing that Parker is Spider-Man's photographer, asks him to introduce her to Spider-Man so she, she can solve this case. But Parker refuses. But, however, Lee will be watching him. Outside, Peter finds Felicia Hardy crying, missing Morbius. Parker vows to bring Morbius back to normal. But as Peter inf- embraces uh, Felicia, a jealous MJ ditches her plans and takes Harry Osborn out on a date instead. However, nearby, Morbius watches Peter vowing to drain him, but is also concerned about Felicia seeing him in his current form. More classic Stan Lee love triangles. Classic. This is a love quadrant. Oh, sorry. It's a giant <laughs> Michael it? Vincent it's... quadrant. <laughs> sorry, I, I, I love referencing that so much. Felicia Hardy, Michael Morbius, Peter Parker, Mary Jane. No, more Harry Osborne. More than a quadrant. Oh, wow. A what pent- would you call it? A, qu- a pentagon. A love Qu- pentagon. <laughs> That's a great I, band name. I jotted down um, some of the classics that I remember reading growing up. Hmm. Um, so the Stanley Love Triangles. Um, Peter Parker, Betty Brant, and Liz Allen were the original one in Spider-Man. Um, hmm. Liz Allen was the popular blonde girl that Peter liked from school. Yeah. Betty Brant was the slightly older um woman that worked at the daily bugle that he also fancied ah uh, yes yes i remember her then there's um peter parker mary jane gwen stacy harry osborne as they mm. get into college years yeah um and then there's later on there's peter parker mary jane felicia hardy yep um when the black cat like mary jane rejects peter's offer of love and maybe even a marriage proposal and he falls into the um the uh the waiting bountiful arms of the black (laughs) cat who's like hey never take your mask off i never want to see your ordinary face i think spider-man is really sexy and hot i don't want to know where you live and that you do the dishes and that you have a job. Um, <laughs> we also have Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Angel in the X-Men. Love it. Tony Stark, Pepper Potts, and Happy Hogan in Iron Man. I remember that one. Matt Murdock, Karen Page, and Foggy Nelson in Daredevil. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Reed Richards, Sue Storm, and Namor, sort of, in the Fantastic Four. Yeah, I heard about that one. 
and uh, Wanda Vision, who's a, not a person, and Wonder Man in the Avengers, um, <laughs> which gets even more complicated when uh, we work out that the Vision's mind is actually a copy of Wonder Man's mind that Ultron used to bring the Vision to life. So Wonder Man's like, if you love the Vision, you actually just love me in a robot body. Why do you hate my nipples? Um, <laughs> Tremendous. There we go. Yeah, love love triangles. <laughs> Later, Morbius breaks into Doc Connor's lab and steals the neogenic device. On the way out, Blade is waiting with a UV light on his bike that weakens the vampire. However, Morbius overpowers Blade and drops the vampire hunter in a chimney, claiming that he intends to use the neogenic device to turn the rest of the world into vampires. Before Blade is dropped, Spidey swings in, webs up Morbius and rescues Blade. But Morbius fights back and escapes. Spider-Man reveals how he used some of Blade's anti-vampire poison in his web fluid to be more effective against Morbius. But while Blade is impressed, he offers to teach the web-slinger how to be a better vampire hunter. With no choice, Spider-Man and Blade join forces. Feels like a brilliant setup for the next episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh, this is already a lot of fun. Wait, he's going to teach you to be a vampire hunter? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Training <So>, montage! <laughs> so I know we talked about Blade and the Midnight Suns, but has he ever teamed up with superheroes like Spider-Man? Um, there's a great series um, where he teams up with Captain Britain, um, and the the series is called Captain Britain and MI13, which is about a British military intelligence group that is designed to go after like mystic stuff and aliens. So it's a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It sounds like. Um, well, in, in the way that it's a team of super people, I guess. That and, and, you know, in under Britain. the British government as a secret group. As a military, well, yeah, maybe it's just British Avengers. Yeah. Um, it's Captain Britain and Spitfire and Blade and Union Jack and uh, some other people. That's that's really good fun. Um, and but uh, when Luke, there's there's another one. Yeah, and this spins out of Echo a little bit. Okay, so when Luke when Thanos attacks Earth, big fights are going on. Luke Cage finds himself in the middle of this fight with a bunch of random heroes. And that's how the Avengers always come together, hmm. right? So he's like, oh, this must be the new Mighty Avengers. It's in 2014. Uh, Monica Rambeau convinces an unseen mystery character that says that he can't be seen in public, convince him to put on a mask and help them in this huge battle. So the mystery man grabs an unlicensed off-brand Spider-Man costume from a fancy dress shop. <laughs> And helps the Avengers as unlicensed spider hero. <laughs> spider person. Um no, literally it's spider hero. That's the name oh, wow. on the the name on the thing instead of an instead of a spider symbol is spider hero. Um, hell. And so that that team becomes the mighty Avengers and they start a big but they they go on to have uh, become a team that is battling a, a a group called the a mystic bad guys called the Death Walkers. Spider Hero takes on is convinced to join the team, not reveal their identity, so takes on a costumed identity with a pretty good track record for Avengers trying to hide who they really are. <laughs> this person becomes the third Ronin. 
Oh, very nice, very nice. And Ronin is part of the mystery character, mystery Avenger for several issues, and then is ultimately revealed to be Blade, um, who needed to conceal his identity, so certain monsters and mystics didn't know that he had returned to America. Um, years later, in in the most recent Jason Aaron's run on the Avengers. Black Panther's running the team, and he brings Blade in to kind of, like, consult when there's a vampire civil war. Um, <laughs> Blade the consultant. That ends with the vampires being given an irradiated section. Of, I think they... I think, is it Chernobyl or another? They're given an irradiated section of Russia to live in and set up a vampire state well, it wouldn't officially recognised. It, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be Chernobyl because Chernobyl's in Ukraine. Ah, well spotted. It must yeah. have been, or maybe it is in Ukraine. Then I'm not quite sure. It's it, or maybe there's another. There's some sort of other disaster that's led to a. Uh, I think I'm confusing it with Secret Invasion. I think there's perhaps another nuclear explosion. Anyway, it's like the vampires can live here because they won't die, um, and Blade becomes sheriff of Vampire Town. <laughs> but that then leads to him um, becoming a fully fledged member of the Avengers. Chapter 10, The Immortal Vampire Spider-Man follows Blade and his vampire compass to find Morbius. Hot on the vampire's trail, Blade and Spider-Man chase Morbius to the end of a pier, unable to follow directly. But Spider-Man has an idea and leads Blade to the George Washington Bridge. Nearly causing a car crash, Detective Lee, Terry Lee sees Spider-Man and calls in an APB on him. Arriving at an electronic factory... Spider-Man tells Blade that he removed the CPU chip from the neogenic device and that Morbius must be hunting for a replacement. So, very clever idea to take the chip out of the device. <clears throat> when they got to the electronic factory, I was hoping the talk boy was going to make a reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Tiger Electronics factory! Tiger Electronics factory? Gee, they Spidey. They the best neogenic recombinators. <laughs> well, what else do they do there at Tiger the Tiger factory? Well, like, good thing you asked blade uh, do you like latest, lcd uh, video games synergy <laughs> sorry that was terrible <clears throat> anyway sneaking inside the factory blade almost gets the jump on morbius but spidey stops him from killing morbius with a crossbow a fight breaks out with morbius trying to kill blade but spider-man webs him up and saves blade morbius then finds the cpu chip he needs but before he can escape, he comes face-to-face -face with Detective Lee. Morbius takes the detective hostage before throwing her from the ceiling. Blade saves the detective while Spider-Man continues his pursuit. Lee tries to take Blade in for questioning, but the vampire hunter walks away. Spidey catches up to Morbius, but is unable to take the CPU chip back off him. Morbius escapes, and Spidey decides to go to Detective Lee for help. Meeting at Blade's lair... Whistler shows Blade, Spider-Man, and Detective Lee a new force field weapon to trap Morbius. With a plan in place, Spider-Man exits and Blade starts to double up in pain. It's time for his serum and Whistler is forced to explain Blade's condition to the detective. So in these episodes, we've seen Blade use force fields, garlic gas bombs, and a lightsaber. Does he have a high tech? God, I forgot like... he has a lightsaber at the start. At the start. That's so cool. A laser sword. Blade with a, I have a feeling, lightsaber. I have a feeling they did that because it was like, ah, it's a kid's cartoon. Can't show him with a sword. Yeah. 
Yeah, that would make sense. So does he have high-tech weapons like this in the comics? No, not not like sci-fi high-tech, not really. Like when he first shows up in the 70s, he's just he he calls them wooden daggers or wooden knives instead of stakes. <laughs> wooden daggers. I think I think yeah. there actually might be metal but with like a teak tip so uh, that you can yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it, you can you can actually do some damage with it, but you drive the wood into the heart. It's meant to be like a whole gimmicky thing. Mm. That was pretty much it. No sword, nothing like that. And then in the early nineties, when he's kind of back, and there's the the Midnight Suns are, are, are kind of a popular thing in Marvel. Mm. He branches out. He he starts carrying a sword for the first time. Ah, there um, it is. That becomes his principal weapon. Um, and he and he gets um, hollow tip hollow tip silver bullets filled with garlic <laughs> uh, in the tip. What a combination! And what a com- that's 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 really covering all bases, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and I think he, he does have some like portable UV light thing. Um, but then once he gains vampire powers at the end of the nineties, he doesn't. Re- I, I can't recall him doing that much. It's mainly I'm a big strong boy with a sword. Yeah. At least he hasn't got a trilby with it. That's a different look altogether. <laughs> trilby, oh, you, you know, you know, you know that whole thing of like, oh, uh, right. I, I, I learned the sword. I studied stuff, the yeah. blade or whatever. Right, right, because right. okay. a blade looks cool, but as soon as you add a trilby to that look, oh, you ruined it. You ruined it. Anyway, <laughs> arriving home, Spidey's spider sense starts tingling. Morbius is in his home, looking for another sample of Peter Parker's blood. At the Daily Bugle, a security guard is pounced on by Morbius. Before he demands to know where Peter Parker is from J. Jonah Jameson and Rob before he demands to know where Peter Parker is from J. Jonah Jameson and Robbie. Later, Jameson quizzes Peter Parker as to why Morbius is after him. Peter has disappeared for days and now have vampires on his tail. To distract from suspicion and to avoid getting fired, Peter offers to get a picture of the vampire. But Parker also needs a favour from Jameson that will help him. Uh Jameson refers to uh, Morbius as a refugee from an Anne Rice novel. Boom, roasted. <laughs> Boom, roasted. Very, also, very nineteenth-century reference. Uh, bits of the time. Blade is on record somewhere in some comic saying he he doesn't like the Anne Rice novels. They're very dull. Yeah, so I, 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 I've never read them, but from from watching interview with the vampire and the people I know that read them, I imagine they're they're quite romantic and stuff. It doesn't mean it's that doesn't mean dull, but yeah, interviews brilliant. I it, love that film. I it's need to rewatch. So good. It. I haven't seen that absolute years. Oh, what a I movie! Need to rewatch it. So Morbius, uh, does he hunt for Spider-Man's blood in the comics? Is this a thing? Because it sounds like this would be the kind of idea they'd come up with to make an interesting uh, chase. It is, yeah. So there's a battle at some point. There's a battle between Spider-Man and Morbius, and Morbius feeds on Spider-Man's blood, and he is then. Almost immediately hit by lightning at the same time, um, and Morbius survives the lightning strike and discovers he's turned human again. His Ooh. appearance, his sanity, and all of that human traits restored. Um, yeah, and it's it's Spider-Man's radioactive blood. Um, so that eventually wears off, but then uh, later years he's able to use samples of Spider-Man's blood to create an antiviral serum. That allows him to regain his humanity for hours at 
a time. Spider-Man's quite interesting. His radioactive blood means that he is impervious to... um, Like, he can't be turned into a vampire. Yeah. His radioactive blood burns through whatever it is in the vampire enzyme that makes you a vampire. Mm. Um so he he can he can, he'll recover from a vampire bite very very quickly um he can't he you can't really poison spider-man he's very very resistant to all forms of like poison and stuff because he has this insane radioactive blood the way the way the way you phrase that last sentence uh you can't really poison spider-man that sounds like something he'd <laughs> yell at people you can't poison spider-man fool <laughs> You, you, well, I said re- you can't really poison him because you can a bit, but it don't last very long. You can have a go; it's a bit of fun at parties, but it won't take him out. Yeah. Jameson grants Parker his favor, gives him a beaten up old Daily Bugle news van to drive. At Blade's lair, Whistler explains Blade's need for serum as well as his mother. The next se- next second, what? sorry, Whistler's need for his protect- serum as well as his mother. I need my mummy. Nah, I really phrased that badly. He explains to Detective Lee Blade's need for serum as well as the backstory involving his mother. <laughs> oh, that, oh, wow. I'm so bad at writing. The thing you have to writing. know about Blade is that he, he loves his mama. <laughs> he he really needs her. Well I, well, I love my mother too. No, no, you don't. <laughs> the next second, Peter Parker arrives, but Blade is immediately suspicious. Peter tells them that he has a plan to catch Morbius. Later, Parker drives the van to MJ, but Peter senses Morbius is nearby. MJ tries to fix their relationship, but Peter's distracted mind leads MJ to walk away. The next second, Morbius pounces on Parker while Blade and Lee watch from the van. Morbius demands Peter's blood samples, with Peter saying, they're in the back of the van. However... (laughs) I don't know why I said plan. it like that. I don't what know why. What a plan said... this is! Yeah, you need to get you into the back. Yeah, give me your van. blood samples. They're just over there in that. There better not horrible... be anyone waiting for me in that van. They're looking <laughs> ready on to that... punch me. They're looking on that kind of van that looks like it's about to explode. Uh, <laughs> however, when Morbius opens the back doors, the vampire comes face to face with Whistler's new weapon, which stuns Morbius in place, allowing Peter to snap a photo. Suddenly, the device breaks, with Aunt May coming out to see what's happening, and is snatched by Morbius before fainting. It's painful to see Peter lose MJ while trying to do Spider-Man stuff, but it's it's part and parcel of the character, isn't it? It's part of the magic of, 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 of Spider-Man. That his his responsibility is is always ruining his um, his personal life, and you know we said we we talked about sacrifice earlier. Heroes have to sacrifice to kind of like be heroic, really. And a lot of the time that gets lost in superhero comics. Someone gets great powers and does stuff. Well, where's the where's the sacrifice? And Spider-Man's yeah. at his best when we, we see he's constantly like... Pete's constantly having to sacrifice things, big and small, for for the, the rest of us. Yeah, just it's one of those things where it's like... Anytime you see this kind of thing with like a love thing with a character, you are there going, ah, why can't they just get together and everything be happy? But then it's like, yeah, but that'll crumble away <laughs> the whole whole story yeah i mean it's yeah the ba- batman certainly felt always like th- that was a big part of his like whenever there was the the duality of batman dating a little bit it was always like i can't i'm too tragic and i have this life and yeah i think it it, it for me i think it enhanced the superman character when he got when he married lois lane i thought it yeah it started some very interesting stories but there you go. It's, it's not. I, I struggle to think of what Superman sacrifices. But he, 
but he's a very different character. Anyway, <laughs> Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Morbius tells Peter that until he provides him with a sample of his blood, he'll be keeping Aunt May as insurance. Back at Blade's lair, Lee tries to reason with Blade and accidentally lets slip about knowing about knowing his past. Lee tries to get Blade to have feelings again before the two kiss. The t- this tender moment is interrupted by Spider-Man arguing with Blade about the plan going wrong. Spidey goes off alone to find Aunt May and Morbius. A bit mad to see uh, to, to kiss a half-vampire so soon after meeting them. That's the bit that gets me. So soon after meeting him. First of all, women love vampires. If modern 20th century, 21st century thought is anything, it's that. Second of all, I don't know, man. Like, he's this big, rugged, mysterious, strong biker, enigmatic... And he's just been doing some heroic stuff. I, 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 I'd, I'd snog him. I think yeah, I'd... yeah. Blade is pretty uh, snoggable. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Yeah, he's a hot, he's a hot boy. He's a hottie. He's a hottie. Spidey takes out Felicia Hardy's apart. Sorry, stakes out. Doesn't take out. Jesus Christ. Spidey stakes out. Takes <laughs> stakes out Felicia Hardy's apartment, knowing that this is where Morbius will go. However, he spots MJ and Harry on a date and goes to investigate. Unfortunately, this distraction stops Spider-Man catching Morbius kidnapping Felicia from her home. While Blade and Detective Lee track down Morbius' location, Felicia wakes up at Morbius' hideout at the docks. But as Blade and Lee are sneaking outside, the slats on the pier give way under Lee, alerting the vampire to them. But Blade gets the jump on Morbius and aims a high-radiation gun. Lee demands to take Morbius into custody and convinces Blade that this is the right way. But the next second, Spider-Man swings in, assuming Blade is about to attack, and this allows Morbius to escape back to his lair. Is there any history between Blade and Morbius in the comics like this? No, um, not we talk about the Midnight Suns, but not for like a long time. Which I, I, I think anyway. I, I can't, I can't. Yeah, I couldn't recall any. My research didn't turn any up until the nineties when they're they're then in the Midnight Suns with. All those other supernatural characters, mm. and then the year after Blade movie comes out, um, in Peter Parker Spider Man mm. in 1999, Blade is hunting Morbius, and they get into a fight, and Morbius bites Blade. Oh, hello! And we then find out in the next. Uh, there's an then launch a new Blade comic after that, and in the first issue we discover that has triggered hit Blade now getting vampire powers for the first time. Ah, so they sort of not they don't retcon anything; they just sort of swerve it into what the what that introduced. Okay, originally, yeah. Mm. So what they wanted to do is have a Blade character in the comics that was much more in line with the Blade Wesley Snipes character in the movies. So they wanted him to have fangs, superpowers, be half vampire. The way they seemed to do that was uh, Morbius bit Blade, and it had an interesting effect on him because Morbius is like a pseudo vampire. I'm not. I don't think Morbius can't create vampire. vampires anyway. He's a crypto vampire. <laughs> and so, yeah, then we get this version of Blade. But then Marvel didn't like that, and they. I think they they pretty much seem to disregard it, and they changed. Blade's history, I don't think Blade, Blade's mother was original. Uh, they changed some of the history, so I think it's actually meant to be that Blade's 
vampire powers come from Deacon Frost when Deacon Frost bit his mom. Right. Okay. Okay. It feels a little unclear. There's been a few retcons over the years. Mm, but Morbius like... certainly, in my mind, I always thought in my mind it was Morbius biting him that gave him his vampire powers for the first time, made mm. him Wesley Snipes. <laughs> As Morbius readies the neogenic device, an emotional Felicia tells him that he's not the same person she fell in love with. Morbius has gone from being a man who wanted to stop a plague from becoming a plague himself. Giving out an anguished cry, Morbius realises he must change himself back into the man she loves. The next second, Spider-Man and Blade crash through the roof, accidentally setting off the neogenic device. Jumping in front of the beam to save Felicia, Morbius is transformed into a man-sized bat that grabs Spider-Man and flies away. But as they leave, the neogenic device starts turning towards Aunt May. Kind of interested to know what would have happened if the beam hit uh, Felicia, and indeed, if it does hit Aunt May, what would happen? They become vampires. Oh, okay. That's the plot. Okay. He's made the neoconic decombinator a vampire he messed up last time i thought you know something random might happen i don't know <laughs> what do you want to happen i don't know some kind of lobster creature no. okay has morbius ever become a giant bat monster in the comics yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um recently um pre pre he had i think they were creating a comic book to coincide with the movie I think everything got delayed because of the pandemic. But yeah, 2019, mm. um, he discovers... Remember the Melter? Oh, yeah. The, what, the guy who turned Iron Man's suit into butter? That's right. Uh, uh, that episode is available via Obscure Marvel on uh, on Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. The Melter is a bad guy who melts things, <laughs> uh, including Iron Man's armour. Um and he uses steam to escape. He um, there's a new version of the Melter who's fallen in with a gang that are experimenting, doing weird sci-fi science experiments on people. Quite nasty stuff. But not like what, like putting a a man's head on a gorilla's body, <laughs> <laughs> like taking some sort of uh, butchered vigilante and sewing him back together with robot parts. Um, <laughs> oh God. No. Frankencastle. <laughs> Frankencastle. No, no. Uh, but but Morbius kind of brutally attacks all these people. Mm. And when he's kicked them all out, he's gone, I am, however, going to steal your facilities and your equipment to experiment <laughs> on myself. And he creates a formula that's meant to cure his hunger for blood. And it succeeds, but only briefly. Only briefly. And then wouldn't you know it, his actions make his life worse. Um, <laughs> and kind of, m- much like the six-armed Spider-Man thing, it mutates him even further. Um, he, he's lose contr- he loses control of himself, and he degenerates into kind of a man-bat-type creature with big clawed hands, Ooh. leathered wings, and a very animalistic kind of... His face uses all semblance of... Of humanity, yeah, and he becomes he becomes a, a kind of a man-sized bat creature. Wow. Breaking free from Morbius's grip, Spider-Man lands back in the vampire's lair and deactivates the neogenic device before it hits Aunt May. As Morbius flies away, Spider-Man explains to a tearful Felicia that Morbius won't be a human ever again. Blade lets Lee down gently before kissing her goodbye. Spider-Man returns Aunt May home, with Aunt May thinking the whole thing was a horrible dream. Far away, Morbius enters an ocean cave and sleeps upside down, 
thinking of his love for Felicia. What a great Stan Lee love tragedy that is. Genuinely somber at the end. Genuinely so- great, yeah. great ending to that. Like, he was a bad person. He was doing bad things, but he didn't ask for any of this. And then, mm. tragedy. Tragedy, absolutely. There we have it, folks. We've looked at what, for our money, is the very first Marvel universe seen on the screen. A big crossover. Spider-Man, Punisher, Craven, Morbius, and indeed the Punisher. Will, thank you for taking us through that. Love to hear your favourite slices of trivia that you've learned today. Well, there's quite a few bits I absolutely love. Like, yeah, one thing I, I loved was hearing about David S. Goya's initial script basically being cannibalised oh, yeah. without his approval. And, uh, yeah, really, I, 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 get, I get the legal thing about it, but it's like, oh, man, that doesn't feel nice at all. There's nothing mm-hmm. nice about that. No. I loved... Um, <laughs> Craven the Hunter, or maybe his son... Uh, Creating a human zoo. <laughs> zoo for people. Zoo, zoo for people. of people. Zoo of people, not zoo for people. But I think uh, I really loved your J. Joma Jameson stuff. And I think the one thing that really, really cracked me up was uh, his dying breath or whatever. He thinks his dying breath. He goes, must not die before spider-man <laughs> good old jonah um and of course as ever will uh, please let us know your, your your final thoughts and your your yeah your thoughts on this uh four episode slice of the uh, animated series ah well let's see initial thoughts well we've to- as we covered this before i mean as usual this cartoon deals with the comic book style storylines in such a brilliant and compelling way what's good about it is just the way various story threads are juggled organically and seamlessly so much happens in just a 20 minute episode and in these ones they were able to handle Punisher Morbius and Blades in a kids cartoon in a kids cartoon without watering them down too much I mean it almost feels like no scene in this is wasted at all it really is a good economy of storytelling I have there's uh, in terms of bad points I have nothing absolutely nothing bad to say about this this is wow. out of the wow. park brilliant uh, I think what if there's anything I could have changed maybe I would have made the episodes a bit longer but only just for more Punisher and Blade action and you can't really you can't really not you can't really do that with the TV show hey Fox yeah. we need these these gotta be give us another five minutes on each episode. <laughs> um, Thank you, Will. Um, reading list is kind of all over the place. Bear with me. Um, for like '90s Morbius and Blade stuff, check out the Marvel Sons Midnight Suns collection. Um, for kind of a modern Blade, with he's got his full powers, I would check out uh, Blade by Mark Guggenheim. Um, mm. For peak Punisher Battle Van Microchip era, check out Punisher Warzone by Chuck Dixon from the '90s. Um, for Blade in the Avengers as Ronin, check out Mighty Avengers by Al Ewing. Um, and I can't recommend it enough, Punisher Frankencastle by <laughs> Rick Remender, a fun series. Um, oh, we've got to announce the next episode. Will, <laughs> the next episode, man, just all joy on this show at the moment. Look, you're not going to have heard of it. You're not going to have heard of it. It's called Ultra Force, right? So in 1994, Marvel Comics bought another comic book company, <laughs> Malibu Comics, and they set about merging their superheroes into the Marvel Universe. And then in 1995, 
the Malibu superheroes got their own Saturday morning cartoon kids show called Ultra Force. A whole toy line and everything. So we're going to take a deep dive into a brand new universe that is part of the Marvel multiverse full of ultra heroes and find out what happens when ultra heroes meet superheroes of the marvel universe so it's ultra force that's what we're covering we're sticking in 1995 for another week don't miss it check us out on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel and don't forget our movie episode is coming to patreon batman versus superman dawn of justice it's an exclusive Head over to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Marvel versus Marvel was researched, written, and performed by Rob Holden and Will Preston. The show is produced by Will Preston, and our theme song was composed and performed by Dan Walsh. Head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel for awesome bonus content. Marvel versus Marvel.